following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, we'll be in Second Chronicles chapter 7, uh, part 8 of a sermon series that we're talking about. Open our ears, Lord. How do we hear from the Lord more effectively with all the distractions in life? You say, Brother Tracy, that's easy for you to get up there and preach. You're a preacher. All you do is come and you pray and you study. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, I, I deal with things just like you do. Sometimes the worries of this world, sometimes troubles get in the way, sometimes uh, I lose my focus, and sometimes it seems like God is very, very distant from me. Better yet, I am very, very distant from the Lord. So we're in this together. Uh, I'm no different than you are. Uh, I get tired. I get stressed. I get fatigued. I get angry. I share all the same things that you do. So sometimes it is difficult for me to get back on track and where I need to be. And I think what we see in this passage today in Second Chronicles chapter 7, we'll find some principles. God is speaking to King Solomon at the time. Uh, he is dedicating uh, the first ever permanent temple structure to come and worship the Lord, a place for God to reside. Uh, he's speaking directly to Solomon. He's speaking directly to the nation of Israel. However, the principles that we see uh, definitely apply to us as well as far as hearing from the Lord. Uh, it's a very common, very uh, recognizable passage. Uh, we know about Second Chronicles 7.14. We say that as a nation all the time. That is one we're going to look at. But, but there are three phrases in this passage that we're going to look at uh, that are called conditional clauses. They are if then statements. And God says that all throughout Scripture, but in this one passage, there are three in particular where God says, if you'll do this, then this will happen. Some are positive and some are negative. We call them cause and effect. Uh, there was a scientist by the name of Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, he had several laws of motion that we know about. They are principles. Uh, the first one says that a body at rest will remain at rest. Uh, I get that way sometimes <laughs> until a force stronger than myself, namely my wife, says it's time to get up out of your rest and do something. But uh, Sir Isaac Newton says that a body at rest will remain at rest and a body in motion will remain in motion unless it is acted upon by an external force. Also, he says that the force acting on an object is equal to the mass of that object times its acceleration. And he has a formula to calculate that. But the one I want to look at most particularly is Newton's third law of motion. It says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Probably one of the most simplest demonstrations I could think of is this balloon. Uh, like it is, it does nothing. But if I take my breath, and ex exhale into this balloon, and an action like this takes place. My breath is now contained inside this balloon. This balloon changes form. My action has caused a reaction. 
And now my breath is under somewhat of a pressure until I release it. If I continue to blow into this balloon, the pressure gets greater and greater. So if I exert all of my breath that I can in this balloon, then it's going to expand and my breath will be contained under pressure. Until I decide to put this body into motion, there are several different things I could do. If I release it slowly, you all know the annoying sound that it makes, don't you? But if I release it all at once, if I release it all at once, then it goes into motion. There are certain things that God says about us being able to hear from Him. If you do these things, if there are some things that you allow to trickle into your life, if you let the worries of this world overtake you, then it's going to be more difficult for you to hear God's voice. But in this passage that we look at, God is speaking uh, particularly to Solomon. He's speaking specifically to the nation of Israel. And he says, there are some steps that you can take as my people to draw closer to me. You'll experience the blessings that I have prepared for you. And you'll be able to hear my voice more clearly than ever before. Last week we looked at King David, the second king of the nation of Israel. Uh, King Saul was the first. David was a man after God's own heart. David sinned, he fell from the graces of the Lord, but he repented and he came back. After a man by the name of Nathan, last week we were talking specifically about God sending people into our lives to speak to us and get us back on track. Accountability partners is what it was all about. But Nathan got up in David's face, he got up in his grill, he said, David, you have sinned against the Lord. And because of that, David repented of his sin and God made a covenant. He said, look, He said, the throne is not going to depart from your family. He said, uh, there's going to be a sword that comes upon your family. Some of your children will die. But nevertheless, your future generations, the, the throne will not depart from your family. And so now we see his son Solomon taking his place as king. David was a man of war. Solomon, whose name means uh, peace or peace will come was a man of peace. And Solomon had a very good communication with the Lord because the Lord came to him early on in his reign as king. And he said, Solomon, he said, I'll grant you one blessing in particular. If I could give you anything at all, if you could ask for anything at all, what would it be? And Solomon's response was this. He said, I would want to have wisdom to be able to rule over your people as a godly king. And to make sound decisions. Solomon was the wisest man that we know of. He wrote the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. He was a very, very wise man. And in this passage, God speaks to him on a different level. So Solomon actually reigned as king of Israel from about 970 B.C. to 931. He began construction of the temple that we're talking about today in 966 B.C. It took him 20 years to build this temple, according to what Chronicles tells us, is Second Chronicles 8.1. And so the passage that we look at today reveals a conversation between the Lord and Solomon. Let's all stand as we read God's Word. And we're going to see that there are three particular conditional clauses in this passage that apply to us. 
today just as much as it did to Solomon and the nation of Israel at that time. And remember, we're dealing with principles here, just like the principles, the laws of motion that uh, Isaac Newton gave us. There are some principles that we find in this passage as well. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people. A pestilence is a fatal epidemic disease. When I send that pestilence among my people, my people, if my people, here's your first conditional clause, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's your cause and effect, your conditional clause, your if-then statement. He says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayers made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. This is one of only three times in scripture that that word perpetually is found. As for you, if you walk before me, he's talking specifically to Solomon now. Here's your second conditional clause. If you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded, you uh, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David, your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. Verse 19. Here's your third conditional clause. But if you turn away and forsake my statues and my commands, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them, in this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to the land and his this house? Then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these crystal clear principles that you give us in your word. And I just pray, Father God, that you will open our ears, help us to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to us through your word today. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Cause and effect, we want to hear what does it take for us to hear more clearly from the Lord. We, we see three specific things about who God speaks to and when God speaks to them. The first one we see in verse 14, God speaks to those who are wholeheartedly committed. He says, if my people who are called upon by my name, that is a committed group of people. If they are called by my name, if they will humble themselves. 
So the first question I have for you this morning is this. How committed are you to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Is His perfect will something you're continually seeking in your life? Are you as committed to your Christian faith as you are some of the other things in your life? Basically, God is drawing a line here. He says, look, either you're with me or you're against me. Either you're my people or you're not my people. God says, I only want people who will follow me with their whole hearts. If you're called upon by the name of the Lord, if you are considered a Christian, if you consider yourself to be a child of God, that's what God is saying. He says, I want you to follow me with your whole heart. I put my name upon you. I put my blessings upon you. I've given you my word. I've given you everything that you need to succeed in the Christian life. And if you are my people, I want you to humble yourself before me and follow me with your whole heart. If you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we've quoted this several times. There's a, a passage called the Shema that they would recite each and every day. And it goes along with what Jesus said was the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. If you are in the group of God's people, that's how you should pursue him. God is not interested in a half of a sacrifice. He wants the whole sacrifice. He wants full custody. He doesn't want just weekend visits. The Apostle Paul took it a step further. He said in Romans 12.1 that you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. God said, those are my people, the ones who will offer themselves completely and wholly to me. He says, I'm not talking to just everyone in this earth. He says, I am talking to my people. And if my people will humble themselves before me, there are some things that I want to bless them with. And there are some things that I want to share with them and speak with them. If you'll remember, a few weeks ago, we we studied... Uh, Elijah, after his Mount Carmel experience against the prophets of Baal, basically what Elijah did, he says, we're going to draw a line here. He says, if God is your Lord, then serve him. Say, look, God's people, his people, you've got to come on this side. If you're not God's people, you belong to Baal. He says, if God is your Lord, then you worship him. But if Baal is your Lord, and worship him. He's saying you have a decision to make today. And God is saying here in this passage. I'm speaking to a specific group of people. He says I want those who are washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have been purchased by his death on the cross. Those whose sins have been forgiven by his atoning death. He says those are the people that I'm speaking to. And if these people that I'm speaking to will humble themselves. I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to speak clearly to them and them alone. If you are my people, if you call yourself a Christian, and if you are a child of God, then humble yourself and serve him and him alone. If you are committed, then God is listening, and God wants to heal our nation. And God wants to use you in that process. The next thing we see in this passage 
in the second part of this particular verse is that God speaks to those who remain consistent. Not only to those who are committed, but also to those who are consistently seeking the face of God. He says, my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Are you seeking the Lord as diligently as you should? He says, I want you to pray and I want you to seek my face. How often throughout the course of a week can you honestly say, I have really sought God with my whole heart. I want to see the face of God and I want to hear his voice clearly than anything else in my life. Are you constantly in a season of prayer? Are you meditating on his word? God, I know that you're trying to tell me something through this verse. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to try to memorize it. I'm going to ponder on it. I'm going to reflect on it. And I want to hear clearly, Lord, by consistently reading this passage, this scripture, whatever it is that you're trying to speak to me through. And I want to be as consistent as possible in seeking your face and seeking your will for my life. So if you are consistently seeking the Lord, let me just share a little, a little secret with you. He's not trying to hide anything from you. He's not camouflaging it. He's not covering it up. He wants to show you what his perfect will is, but you have to consistently seek his face and be searching for that will. Now, ladies, you, you know how difficult it is sometimes for us men to find things, don't you? <laughs> Honey, where did I put my keys at? Oh, they're right there where you normally leave them at. I, I looked there once already. I couldn't find them. Well, go look again. And sure enough, there they are right where she thought they were. Well, why did you forget where you put them at? Well, you know, I, I've been waiting on you to get ready for so long. I, I've forgotten completely about where everything was at. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a voice from above. <laughs> but God's not hiding anything from you. He's going to give you those constant loving reminders. But you have to be seeking his face. This morning we talked about the cares of the world. The worries of this world. Not being consumed with the things of this world. Not falling in love with the things of this world. First John chapter 2 talked about that. Ephesians chapter 6 talked about who we actually wrestle and fight against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't fight against each other. We fight against principalities and powers, spiritual forces. And those things will sometimes keep us and distract us from consistently seeking the Lord the way that we should. God's not hiding anything from you. He's not hiding anything from us as a church. He's not hiding anything from us as a nation. He wants us to know and understand what his perfect will for our lives are. How do I know that? Where do you find that at, Brother Tracy? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, God says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants to bless you. He wants to reward you. But he also wants you to consistently seek his face and his will for your life. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 8. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And he'll answer you. 
He's not hiding anything from you. He wants you to know and he wants to reveal his perfect will for your life to you. Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek me and you shall find me if you search for me with all of your heart. So that's what God is saying here in 2 Chronicles as well. He says, if you will will humble yourself and if you will pray and if you will seek my face, There's one other step that he asks us to take there as well, though. Not only does God speak to those who are wholeheartedly committed, not only does God speak to those who remain consistently seeking him, but number three, God speaks to those who respond to conviction. The Holy Spirit wants to prompt you and nudge you and reveal the things in your life that you need to correct. That is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Look, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that your Sunday school teacher can do to convict you. All we can do is consistently teach God's Word and speak to you the things that God has shown us and revealed to us. But the convicting power that happens in your life and in someone else's life, that's the Holy Spirit working in their life. But whenever we respond to this conviction... He says, if my people who are called upon by name will humble themselves and pray. And look at this next part. If they will turn from their wicked ways. So he's saying basically there's three conditions right here. That if you will meet these three conditions, then things will begin to take shape for you. Repent. Respond to the conviction. Turn from your wicked ways. How many of you think America is falling to some wicked ways right now? I think it's pretty obvious. How desperately do we need people in America to turn from their wicked ways and turn toward the Lord to experience His hand of blessing upon us? No, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not talking about material blessings. I'm talking about spiritual blessings. I'm talking about God protecting us as a nation. I'm talking about God using us to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the kind of blessings that I'm talking about. Repent. God says, I want you to repent. And and at the time he was speaking to Solomon, it was a specific place that God wanted them to bring their sacrifices and bring their offerings and really show That they were responding to the convictions. That they were turning from their wicked ways and they were turning to the Lord. Here we have altars in our church. We have an invitation time. We have prayer meeting times. We have times where you can come and you can lay your burdens here on this altar. Bring a prayer partner with you. Say, I have some things in my life that I need to get rid of. I have some things in my life that are inhibiting me and my ability to hear from the Lord. I have an addiction that I'm dealing with. I need to bring it here to this altar and make a sacrifice out of it and say, God, take this out of my hands. Cleanse me of it. I want to turn from this wicked way in my life. And I want to seek your face and hear your voice more clearly than I ever have before. And so why did God ask his people in Israel to do this? He wanted to see who was really serious about following him. He's saying, if you've got some things in your life that you and he says, that's a way that I'll know that you're serious about pursuing me. And he uses that as a gauge in our life as well. This cause and effect. Something has caused this to come into your life. And it has taken an effect. 
But now if you will turn from that wicked way, you say, God, I have this in my life that I want to lay down and give to you, and I don't ever want to have to deal with it again. This is the place to do it at. And the temple that he was talking about and the temple that Solomon was dedicating it was a place at that time. But now we are the temple of the living God. God knows that you're getting serious about seeking him. God knows that we as a church are getting serious about seeking him when we humble ourselves, when we respond to those convictions that the Holy Spirit is bringing, and we start giving up some habits that are getting in the way of us drawing closer to the Lord. James 4.8 says this, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So sometimes to draw near to God, we have to push all of those habits, all of those wicked ways, and clear a path and respond to those convictions to get closer to the Lord. If my people will humble themselves and seek my face, you can't see the face of God when you've got sin and unrighteousness in your life. And there comes a time when God says, I will know when you're serious about pursuing me when you start laying some of those habits and some of those ways down before me and say, God, I don't ever want to deal with those again. Thank you. Did that happen in Israel's life? Yes, we're going to look at a situation when that did creep back in as well. We're going to look at that in just a moment. So at this time, God was laying some principles down for his people. He said, here's how I want you to act. I want you to be committed. I want you to be consistent. I want you to respond to these convictions. Because point number four, God clearly communicates his covenants. As we've already seen, he made a covenant with David. He said, David, this throne will not depart from your family. He repeats that also to Solomon here. He says, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. Prophetically, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ being the King of kings and Lord of lords. But for now, he's saying, in your generation, in your lifetime, your siblings, uh, your uh, descendants, there will always be a man on the throne of Israel. That was a covenant that he made with David, and it was a reminder to Solomon here as well. God is a God of covenants. And when he gives you a promise, he's going to keep it. If he gives you one of those conditional clauses, if he says, if you'll do this, then this will happen. That's a promise given by the Lord. And he is a God of promises. He is a God of covenants. And this is one reminder, just like God made a covenant with David, he's now speaking with Solomon. And here's the promise that God is making. Here's the covenant that he wants to keep. Here is the principle that can be applied to our lives as well. If we live our lives committed to him, if we are consistent in our walk with him, and if we respond to the convictions of the Holy Spirit, look at what happens. It says his eyes and his ears will be open to our cries. He says, if you will do these things, if you'll humble yourself, 
If you'll pray and seek my face and if you'll turn from your wicked ways, here's the promise that God gives us. He says, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Which is what we need right now. Which is what we need in the United States of America. Is we need a healing. And the Bible says that it is by his stripes that we are healed. But there's a conditional clause. God says, I'm not going to do it just randomly. He says, there are some conditions that need to be met on your behalf. God is making this promise to Solomon and to Israel. And the principle applies to us as well. Here's the promise that God gives. Write this down. Psalm 34, 15. The psalmist writes this, that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But you've got to meet those conditions first. Seek his face. Humble yourself. Turn from your wicked ways. Remove all the unrighteousness. Lay it down at the altar and say, God, I'm getting serious about my relationship with you. I want you to cleanse me of anything that is inhibiting me from drawing closer from you, closer to you. And according to Psalms 34, 15, it says, Then his eyes will be over you and his ears will be attentive to your prayers. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says this, says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. That's a promise given to us by God through his word, that he wants to watch over us and he wants to do great and mighty things for us. But there are some conditions that need to be met prior to that happening. And then point number five in verse 16, here's the promise that God gives and the principle that applies here as well. God desires to communicate with us continually. That's his hope. That's his desire, and that's what he wants. We are hardwired to be relational people, and God knows that, and he wants us to continue consistently in our relationship with him. And he wants to communicate with us on a continual basis. He wants to constantly be guiding us. He wants to be constantly speaking to us. He wants us to hear that voice saying, not to the right, not to the left, but straight ahead you go. There's two words to focus on here in this part in verse 16. He says, for now. That's kind of a tricky word. That's not the word I really want to focus on. But why would he say for now? We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. He says, for now, I have chosen and sanctified this house, this particular temple that Solomon is dedicating, that my name may be here, may be there forever. Hmm. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Those two words, forever and perpetually. That's the kind of God we serve. He's an eternal God. He deals in time, everlasting time. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
That's what he wants to share with us, and that's what he wants to reveal to us as well. But this word perpetually, it's a very, very interesting word. And this word perpetually is found only three times in the scripture. First Kings chapter 9 verse 3 is talking about the same particular passage here. It's almost verbatim as what we're looking at at Second Chronicles 7. But also in Amos 1.11 it's found. So it's meaning, it means in all manner. The word perpetually means altogether or always or continually. Or in a way that never ends or changes. So, if you have teenagers in your house or if you've had teenagers in your house, you know that they are perpetually hungry. <laughs> They're always looking for something to eat. But God says, I want to remain with you perpetually, always and forever. That's another covenant, another promise that God gives us. But it happens after this conditional clause. He says, for now, I've chosen this house and sanctified it. My name is going to be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So then that was the temple of God. But now we are the temple of the living God. And if we'll pray, if we'll humble ourselves, and if we'll seek his face, if we'll turn from our wicked ways, he wants to be in this temple with his heart and his eyes upon it perpetually and forever. But only to those who consider God to be their God. His people, he specifies, my people will enjoy this. The point here is that God desires to have a constant, continual never-changing relationship. He wants to have communion and communication with those who are continually seeking Him. However, there is a flip side to this promise. There is another conditional clause. God says, if you'll do these things, then I'll speak to you and I'll bless you and I'll hear your prayers. But God also gives a crystal clear warning in verse 19. Here's the other side of this promise. It's the one that we don't typically hear when we hear 2 Chronicles 7.14. However, verse 19, he says, But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, there's the cause, and here's the effect. Then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. So this temple that Solomon is building, it was dedicated during his reign and his rule. 946 B.C. is when this took place. This temple stood for a long time. During the time of this original temple, it was destroyed. It was rebuilt by Herod. And it too was destroyed in 70 A.D. Because God's people turned away from him. God kept his covenant and he kept his promise. Once they turned away, even the temple that Solomon is dedicating here 
was destroyed completely. How serious was God about keeping this covenant that he made with Solomon and his people? How long did he honor these promises? God kept his word. Once they turned away, this temple was completely destroyed. The Jewish people were uprooted from their land and taken into captivity. Now they are scattered out all throughout the earth. I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in our country. There there are some changes taking place. Many of you have noticed it. You've expressed your concern about it. Back in the day of Israel, they, they seemed to have faded away from the Lord. One generation would get further and further away. It would go to the next generation, and they would go further and further away. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Right after Joshua came in and took the promised land, one generation away, Judges 2.10 said that there rose up a generation that didn't even know the Lord. Didn't know about all his supernatural acts that he performed for the children of Israel. That's how quickly things can change. Now, I'm going to share with you right now what's known as the four-generation fade. Four generations is considered to be approximately 100 years. The first generation, here's how it goes. Parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. That's one generation. The next generation, those kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. And then in the third generation, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids at all to go to church. And then the fourth generation, watch what happens here. We go from churches, uh, we go from parents not making church a high priority all the way down to the fourth generation. In the fourth generation, those kids grow up with no concept at all of who God is. Is this a very accurate concept of what's going on in America right now? Judges 2.10 says that there rose up a generation that didn't even know the Lord. One generation away from taking over the promised land. Here's what Ronald Reagan had to say about the United States of America. He said, if America ever ceases to be one nation under God, it will be one nation gone under. I think that's what we see happening right now. And so after King Solomon, here's what happened. The kingdom split. The nation of Israel split. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And in the kingdom of Judah, we're going to talk about a king by the name of Manasseh. Between Solomon and Manasseh, there were exactly 13 kings. Eight of those kings were evil. Approximately 260 years between Solomon and Manasseh. And I was reading in our chronological Bible, the New Living Translation, when this surfaced and jumped out at me. Because it goes right along with what we're talking about. He says, if my people who are called upon my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. But if they ever turn away, if they go to following foreign gods... And worshiping them, 
That's when I will remove my hand of blessings upon them. So Manasseh was 12 years old whenever he took over as king. And during his kingship, he took a carved idol that he had made and set it up in God's temple. This was uh, to the god Asherah, foreign god. And God started sending prophets to him saying, you should not have done this. God spoke to Manasseh, but Manasseh refused to listen to the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles 33, here's what happened. It says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. If my people who are called upon by name will humble themselves and pray, if you will heed his warnings, he'll listen to you. And if you'll heed his warnings, he will speak to you more clearly than you've ever experienced before in your life. What happened to Manasseh? So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies. They took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord, his God, and sincerely humbled himself. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Manasseh humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, get this, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. He turned from his wicked ways and the Lord heard from him. Now listen at what happened. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. Revival can happen in America. And I think God is sending some people to speak to America to turn from their wicked ways and to turn back to the Lord and to seek his face diligently. During the time of Manasseh, there were uh, several prophets that came to him. Isaiah was one of them. Zephaniah was another one. Habakkuk was another one. He had some great prophets coming and speaking to him. But there were some times that he would not listen until it was too late and he was taken away into captivity. And then he humbled himself. And turned to the Lord and the Lord blessed him. Maybe God is sending someone to you right now to speak into your life. Maybe God is sending someone to us as a nation to speak to us. And I think the principles that are outlined right here in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Is something that we need to pay careful attention to. I think we've heard Second Chronicles seven fourteen so much. That we've kind of grown numb to it and it's lost its impact and it's lost its effect on us. But if you'll look at those three conditional clauses in there, those if-then statements, if you'll understand that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction, when we turn to the Lord and when we humble ourselves and we begin diligently seeking His face, it could be today, it could be this morning at these altars, in this sanctuary, and we start laying down some of those things before the Lord and say, God, take this out of my life. 
because it's causing a lot of damage and it's keeping me from hearing your voice the way that I should. I think things in the United States can begin turning around and we can truly be one nation under God. Are we experiencing all that God has for us as a church? Are we experiencing all that God has for us as individuals? And are we hearing God's voice? And if we are hearing God's voice, are we responding to it properly? Because He's calling us to do something great and He wants to do something great in and through us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. There's so much more I could say on this topic. And I know I've gone a little bit long this morning. And you've still just gotten the tip of the iceberg of what all God has shown me through this passage. Here's what I want to ask you. What is God showing you now? What about your church? What about your community? What about your family? Do you consider yourself to be a child of God? If my people who are called upon by name will humble themselves. You know, responding during an invitation like this, that's all part of being humble. Asking God to remove my pride. God, help me not to worry about what anybody else thinks, but to be more concerned about what you want to do in my life right now. Is the Holy Spirit telling you to do something today? And if He is, what is it going to take for you to respond? Perhaps you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm fixing to give you another conditional clause that's found in the book of Romans. The Bible says, If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's another promise from God. That's another covenant that He gives us. He wants to save you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you the assurance of eternal life. There are some conditions that need to be met. First of all, you need to admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that there are none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from a God that loves you. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if that's you today, you need to enter in a relationship with the Lord. And you want to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. As soon as the music begins, make your way down that aisle. Don't hesitate. Don't put it off any longer. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Don't be hesitant. Be instantly obedient what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Thanking you for your word, Lord God. We thank you that you give us these crystal clear principles in your word. Lord, we know that for every action in our life, 
There is a reaction that has to take place. Maybe a penalty that needs to be paid. Your word says that we will always reap what we sow. May not be now, it may be later. But I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you came and you paid the penalty of our sin. That we don't have to bear, bear the guilt and the shame. But we can lay our sin at your altar and at your feet. And your word says that you'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. Or if there's someone here that is struggling with a decision, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will show them clearly what direction it is that you want them to go in. But no matter the case, no matter the cause, whatever's going on in the hearts of the people today, Lord God, I pray that during this invitation time that they would respond accordingly. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.